I'm wanting to resonate with my father and then seeing him in other people and other things. It certainly was, if nothing else, life affirming. And no matter what I believe, because I'm very agnostic about this miracle that happened, it pointed to how we can see ourselves in each other. We can see other things and other feelings onto symbols and, and, and we can grasp onto it and then know that there's a connection between all people and all things. That was Addie Hurston, a contemporary impressionist painter, teacher, public speaker, and host of the Studio Alchemy podcast. She teaches creativity classes from her home studio in Indianapolis, Indiana. She's also the author of The Alchemy of Symbols, How to Use the Power of Images to Transform Your Life, which we talk about on the podcast. Addie Hirschen, oh my gosh, thank you so much for joining. Yes, Jara, thank you so much. I am so excited to chat with you, old friend. Um, We should share with the listeners how long it's been since we've talked. Oh my gosh. We messaged in 2010. Yeah. (laughs) There you go, 13 years. Right. Yeah. And at that time we were, we were for in Bloomington for a short time, like 14, 15 years ago, we were pretty good friends, did a lot of palling around together and, and we just haven't connected beyond seeing your photo randomly on social media right, since totally. then. But, um, but of course I'm jazzed and pumped to chat with you and you've come so far and you've done so much. It's same. It's I mean, wonderful. you know, and I, I really love this about Facebook that like even even though we haven't talked much, I've been able to see the progress of your studio and your um, and your artwork and and this book. And I was thinking about how what I share personally on Facebook and what I don't, and thinking, oh my goodness, there's probably so much that like Addie's been up to that hasn't <laughs> been on Facebook. Yeah, um, that's so just the I'm excited to dive in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but so take us back, like. We met through Contradance in Bloomington. Okay. Is that how? Okay. Yeah. Why were you in Bloomington and talk about the move to Indy and what you've, what you've built for yourself in Indianapolis? Oh, okay. Um, Let's see. So I was in Bloomington because my spouse went to school there and then I went back to school there. For library science, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, for library science. Um, I had a midlife crisis during that time when I knew you. I don't know how much of that you remember. A little, because we were going through it together. <laughs> yes, sure. yes. Yeah. And, um, and then we moved to Indianapolis, my family and I. And now I have uh, become an artist. And Well, I had always been an artist, mm-hmm. but I started teaching artwork and just in, in doing art fairs and, and got really into creating my pieces. And now I have an art studio that's in downtown Indianapolis that's called Studio Alchemy, where I teach art classes. And they're kind of, a lot of them are experimental and innovative and fun and are meant to help people express themselves, not just, mm-hmm. oh, how are we going to learn how to technically realistically draw something although we could do that too but it's why are we here because we're saying something with our pieces with our paintings and so so that's my main focus is 
now is, is teaching art classes and, you know, connecting with other people through that medium. I love that. I think there's always been this sense of questioning about you that whether it's been through music or library science or the arts, that there's a sense of trying to, to search for meaning through what you do and then mm-hmm. how to teach it. Right. Right. Yeah. And I can say another thing about my journey that I, I got a master of library science and I was a children's librarian for a really long time. Um, right. But when I moved to Indianapolis, they weren't hiring librarians. They were firing librarians. They fired 60 library employees the year I moved here. And I was actually able to somehow, even though all that was going on, uh, get a part-time job at a library here. But I wanted I needed more income. So I also got a job at the Indianapolis Arts Center and started teaching through them. And that helped to prompt my going forward even more with artwork itself. And then slowly I said, okay, I'm just, I'm moving on from libraries and I'm just focusing on this. So I think it's, I want to share that part of the story for any listeners who might feel uplifted by it because it was really heart-wrenching for me at the time to have just gotten a master's degree in this and totally. then they weren't hiring. I mean, it was, it, that was tough. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. So the reason for this podcast at this particular moment is your new book, The Alchemy of Symbols. So talk about the book and how it came about. Because I feel like that fits too with your journey of. Yeah, yeah. And I want to, I feel like inspired that I want to like back up to like how symbols became such a part of my life and spirituality. And, you know, you had said, oh, spiritual roots, talk about that. And yeah, we, um, (laughs) we sort of skipped over that talking about our our own background, but please, please. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, there's so many different stories that I could share, but a really big impetus and a thing that happened, and this happened right before I met you. And I don't Mm. know how much of it I ever told you about, but I don't know what year it was, but it was like 15, 16 years ago. Um, I was in like standard monogamous relationship. I was married. I had a new baby. And then one day I wrote a letter to some, a message to somebody that Mm -hmm. was very sexually charged. It was inappropriate for the situation or, or even just how I saw myself Mm. And my, my roles and my sexuality and like, I, I, I did this. And then a couple of days later, I sort of woke up and then felt like, oh my God, what, what did I do? Where yeah. did that come from? I didn't, I didn't know I felt this way. I didn't know that there was this like undercurrents of all these things happening that mo- motivated and prompted me to do that. And so then I had to do a lot of soul searching. Well, what is the truth of what I'm really thinking and feeling? Do I need to completely reassess my relationships, my sexuality, my career, my, you know, all of these things. And, and so that's what I did. And that was the point at which you and I met where I like, I left my husband and I, Mm -hmm. and I, and I was just like, I was like revolution. Ah, Cause I gotta, (laughs) I gotta get to the truth. And the only way we can get to the truth is through just shaking it up if things aren't working or there's something's wrong or, um, Mm. but I really wanted to get to my unconscious mind and my, and my inner thoughts and and real feelings 
so that I could, I wouldn't be surprised by myself mm-hmm. <laughs> in the future that I would, I would know who I am and what I'm, what I'm all about. And so there's so many different ways that you can do that, that you can get to your inner truth and your inner spirit and your inner energy and real feeling. One of which is dream analysis. I dream it almost every night. And so, you know, and I write them down and I analyze them. And I say, oh, I'm in a boat and I'm crossing a river. What does that symbolize? What is my unconscious mind telling me in my dream that it's, it's a lesson that's something I need to bring to the surface and to my waking life? so that I can make choices and do things that are more authentic to me. So I I hunt in my dreams for my symbols. And then I also started assessing the things that are outside of me, but that I have chosen. So for example, the artwork that I've put up in my walls, if I have a tattoo, which we don't have any tattoos, so... That, that's news to you. I don't know. <laughs> 15 years. Has she gotten any tattoos? You know, right. have, you, have you gotten tattoos? Many. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Not surprised. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, if, you, if you've chosen symbols and you put them on your body or you put them in your home yeah. and these things are important to you, that's also a reflection of what's going on inside and what's important. Right. And there may be surprising things within them if we examine. Yeah. I want to pause there. And one of the things that I remember about that time was you reading She Who Runs With Wolves and like being excited about it. And I think it was my introduction to it as well. And just the idea of like female archetypes. Do you remember that? Vaguely. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. I just read another book that's called The Goddess in Every Woman, which is Mm -hmm. similar in that it's looking at archetypes that we can step into and say, oh, I want to be Aphrodite today. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. When did you start the dream analysis? Was it at that time? Was it beforehand? When did I start dream analysis? Well, my friend Meg and I, who were, were friends in college, we always would exchange dreams every morning. Nice. Okay. And I started writing them down and thinking about them. And, and I read a book on dream analysis in college, but it wasn't until I had this crisis of identity that I really started to say, Oh, oh, oh maybe there's something there that I can grasp onto that will help Got me. <laughs> yeah. So when I was thinking about how to like summarize this book, what I came up with, it, it's living an intentional life filled with symbols Noticing how symbols affect you, being intentional about the symbols you have around you, paying attention to how the universe may be speaking to you through symbology and or how you also may be speaking to yourself. Mm -hmm. Am I missing anything in that? No, that's a great summary. I should have you, you're a writer. You should write for me and then I won't have to do any of the writing. I can just do the illustrations. (laughs) Yeah, so this, perfect. So this book for, for people who, uh, cannot see it. <laughs> it's deeply illustrated. So there's there's Addie's artwork on every page. Mm-hmm. It's almost like going back to a kid's book, except it's written for adults where the text isn't interrupted with visuals and there's a conversation with visuals that happens. Actually, talk about the writing process of that, like, you know, like laying it out and deciding what gets to be on each page. And that had to have taken forever. Oh, it did. Yeah, it really did. Let me tell you. 
Yeah. So now I'm just opening up a page at random here, but yeah, we have the text. So first I wrote the text and there's personal stories in there um, to, to show the concepts. All right. And then I have things like, here's my great grandmother's quilt. And here's an illustration that I did of the concept of conscious mind and subconscious mind as an iceberg. I have a quote and then behind it is an abstract painting that I did. I put things that are my photographs, but also a lot of paintings and then the small illustrations that were done with with black ink on white paper interspersed. So mixing the two, they're really two very different styles, Mm. but... Yeah. Yeah. It, it was at one point I thought, oh, I'm not going to do it in color. I'm going to do it in black and white. Cause that's cheaper. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I it wouldn't have worked the same. No. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. yeah. I love it. And that's a, that's a great audio description of it for, for people listening to. So, I mean, you filled your book with symbols, but you're, you're living this life intentionally paying attention to symbols. I think one of the questions I had for you was, and there's a lot of this in the book, obviously, but can you talk about ways that we can start to listen to the universe through the symbols around us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things you can do is say you have a big question in your life. You could just say, okay, I got a new job and I'm not sure if this is really working. Should I stay or should I go? Okay, let's say that's your big thing that's going on in your life. It's sort of pressing question mark, (laughs) right? You could say, all right, universe, send me a symbol. I'm open to like, I just want to see what happens, see what I notice and how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then you might go on a walk and then you see a a car drive by, a truck that has a, a phrase on it that says, yes stay or something. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, that does. That sounds right. I do. I want to listen to that. Mm. And so you, 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 you encounter things in your life and then you, you notice how you feel about them. It's the feeling, the gut feelings, the what to, to really notice, because sometimes there are things we can't put words to. Mm. They're not articulated, but we can understand them with a symbol first. Uh, so an example, a couple of examples, you know, one, I had a relative who she was elderly and she lived in a very big house in downtown Bloomington in an area that when she bought the house in the fifties, it was all families, but then slowly it was being taken over by college students as rentals. And she was surrounded by all these kids having parties and, and it was wild every Saturday night. And, and she kept thinking, do I, should I stay here? Should I move to retirement community? What should I, this is, I don't know if this is working. That was yeah. her question mark. And then she said, I'm just, I'm going to be open to a message. And she was a, a religious person. So she was like, sign, sign from God. And then the next week, a kid broke into her house in the middle of the night. It came through the back door and then crashed into the kitchen and oh, wow. um, was found the next morning 
very, very drunk. He just had thought that it was his house. He wasn't breaking yeah. an in to try to hurt her or anything. And she said, all right, this is the sign. <laughs> this is the symbol. My house is being invaded by these kids. I can't take it. Okay. Mm. So that's, you know, a very concrete, literal thing that can happen. Another example that I love to share is about 10 years ago, I did a series of paintings where I thought they were very romantic because there, there are all these nudes and nudes sort of floating through the air and people embracing. I wanted a lot of people embracing. And then um, about a year after I was done with that series, I looked at one of them and I said, holy crap. In all of them, the woman was below looking up mm. adoringly at this dude who's sort of aloof and not looking at her. He's, he's looking off to the side and they're not engaged. They are maybe embracing, but it's there's a disconnect there. And there was a, a, a visible hierarchy. Like she is below in the picture plane and he is high above. Okay. And so, and I realized, oh my gosh, this reflects my core belief that I had that men are aloof. They're not going to want to see you eye to eye, that they, they don't want to engage that women or me, as the case was at that time, is sort of adoring, but not getting much back. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it was reflecting what I was feeling, but I was completely unaware. I mean, I, I didn't see this until like a year later. So, um, so there's a couple of examples of ways in which you can look to the things around you, things that are happening, things that you have created or brought into your life, and they will show something very important about yourself. And you can have a great aha moment and then make whatever changes need to happen next. <laughs> That's a great example. And, all, and and it's something that changes, right? Like now I'm assuming if you would draw nudes in these hetero couples, they would be very different, right? Because you're in a different place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then for a while I was intentionally doing paintings where if I had your hetero couple, like they are eye to eye, they are equals. Like I had did several, I think it was four where they're just standing, looking at each other, like <laughs> eyes, like <laughs> <laughs> right at each other. So, so yeah. So it, sometimes as an artist, I will intentionally say, okay, this is what I actually want. This is, this is better. I see it's more healthy and I will re I will create it. But even if you aren't a, a painter drawer, you could, you know, print out a symbol that represents what you want. You could create a vision board about it. And so that you can say with a lot of clarity and strength, yes, this is what I want. Yeah. You were talking about in the book that you do a vision board every, uh, every New Year's to yes. set intentions for the year. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm, I love vision boards. Um, and I do it as a workshop. So here at the studio, I get out, I have this huge collection of some of them antique uh, old magazines mm. and you know, people give me stuff and I cut them out pre-made. And then we have just this wide variety of images and words and people go through and, and they select things that they're drawn to. And I invite them, not think too hard, just 
go with your gut. Is it pulling mm-hmm. you? Yes, yes. And then you bring it back to the table and then you cut them and splice them. And then, and, and then at the end, we ask ourselves questions. Well, what does this mean? Why did you choose the waterfall? Why did you, you what, what's there? And sometimes it takes people six months to figure out why they selected the waterfall. Wow. Yeah. But they'll write to me and say, hey, Hattie, I figured it out. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Mm-hmm. I was, so I was reading this last weekend and thinking about what symbol really resonates with me right now. And there was a tarot card that I'd come across recently, and I, I wish I remember which one it was. Um, but it had, it pictured a series of plants that were underneath the ground, but fully formed. And to me, it was this representation of like the possibilities of the future or the, the hope of things that we plant coming to fruition and being able to be, to be used and reaped. And I told my therapist recently that I feel like I'm in this like very long winter and I'm needing to have faith that a spring's going to come and all of the things that I've that I've planted will be able to be harvested and that so as I was reading your book I was thinking about that image and how like okay. meaningful it was to me to hold on to you know yeah wow yeah so if I were you I might like either draw draw it out like it bursting out right you know? uh, or find an image of that yeah, I, I I decided I have to finish my Christmas presents first, but <laughs> I'll work on it. Yeah, I'm yep. making a bunch of scarves. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, but yeah, it's. I think I don't know. There's such an interesting. I feel like symbols. Part of what's so powerful about them is that there's there's so much intention in them. There's such a visceral connection with some of them that mm-hmm. they don't just represent ourselves, but they represent the things that we have faith, hope, desire for, like we place anything and everything inside of them or in them, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other story I was hoping you would tell or talk about that I I found just really moving is the trombone story. Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. um, I have several music stories, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, so this story is true story. It's something that has just sort of baffled me, left me with lots of spiritual questions um, mm-hmm. and perhaps more questions than ever answers. But, uh, but yeah, so here you go. Here's the trombone story. So my father was a, a trombone player. He played in a big band that was called the Jack Thomas Band. And he also was a band director. So he taught high school band. So many of my very first memories, you know, I want you to imagine me age two, standing in front of 60 kids blasting their horns and like the power of that Mm. music was very exciting and visceral and just amazing to me as a little kid. And then many years pass, my father died when I was eight and I gave away his trombone a few years later so that someone else can be playing it, because I think musical instruments need to be played. Mm. We went back as a family to visit his grave. Okay, so we had moved away from the area, but we came back from my grandmother's funeral, went to her funeral, 
and then immediately afterward went to visit my father's grave. My father did not want to be buried in the ground. He wanted to be in a a mausoleum. He wanted to be cremated and put in a mausoleum so that he wouldn't rot in the ground. I guess he didn't like the idea of the worms, whatever. So he's in a church called the, the Church of the Ascension Episcopal Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. My family, so me, my sister, my mom, and my husband, Sean, and I pulled in to the church. There's only a couple of cars in the lot. It was a Saturday. We went to a door or two. They're all locked. Finally found an open door, went through. But then where we needed to go to get to the, the grave was this way, and it's locked. But we hear music. Ah, okay, somebody's here playing music. We went to the main sanctuary. So we followed the sound to get to, you know, this is standard church sanctuary, very large and tall, beautiful, beautiful church. We walk in and up at the balcony was a young man who was playing the trombone by himself and he was playing his heart out. And the sound reverberated into every nook and cranny of that space. It was loud, it was powerful. And we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, um, just sort of like blown away by this guy because he was amazing in and of himself. But here we are to see my father's grave. My father plays the trombone. And there is someone here doing a solo trombone performance practicing. And th- I mean, what are the chances? It was so yeah. odd and magical and and just wonderful. My mom walked up to the balcony and said, hey, you know, he stops playing. Uh, we came to see, you know, Johnny's grave. Can, can we get the key to where the mausoleum is? And he said, oh, yeah, I have the key. It's right here. And he gave, gives mom the key. And she tells him, like, oh, yeah, my husband was a trombone player, and so we're happy to see you, <laughs> you know? And then she comes back down, and then we went down to the basement where this this room is, and and we sort of had our little moment, mm-hmm. you know, in, in front of the box. Mm-hmm. But then we were so much more drawn to the sanctuary upstairs. We'd go back up to the sanctuary, give him back the key. There's something about the key, too. Um, it's a, just a wonderful symbol. And we listened for a few minutes, just absorbing. And then we left. And my husband, Sean, who is an uber atheist, like he, you know, he does not go for any woo-woo anything ever. Yeah. But he, he goes, that was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, damn, yeah, that was crazy a coincidence. And so, you know, I had to grapple with it, you know, thinking, well, is it just that I'm looking for the symbol? Right. I'm wanting to resonate with my father and then seeing him in other people and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly was, if any, if nothing else, life affirming. And no matter what I believe, because I'm uh, very agnostic um, about this miracle that happened, it pointed to how we can see ourselves in each other we can see other things and other feelings on onto symbols and 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 we can grasp onto it and then know that there's a connection between all people and all things 
Hmm. What are your thoughts on that story when you when you heard about it and you read it? Well, I think one of the things I was drawn to was how you talked about that you felt your father's presence hmm. more strongly in the sanctuary than in the mausoleum. And I mean, whether that's a real sense of a presence or whether that's just an emotional connection that happens through the symbol of trombones, right? Mm. Like there's a sense of comfort that comes from it. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I want to share another story with you that's very much related and it has to do with gender identity. Sure. Um, but I, so I think I know you're going to appreciate it. Um, yeah. I also realized that I could see myself in my father. Mm. I, I could see myself, um, my, the, my father's presence within myself. Mm-hmm. If I create music, if I am, am doing the sorts of things that he loved as well, I see myself in him and and in, in those same actions and symbols. And one of the things in my timeline that happened <laughs> that took me many years to process and fully understand when I was a kid, you know, my father died. And then a couple years later, so just my father died when I was in the second grade, in the third grade, I said, I want to start taking piano lessons. Mm. And my mom said, sure. Mm-hmm. And so I started playing the piano and I, very diligently for, I don't know, five, six years took lessons and I got pretty, pretty dang good for a kid, you know, and I learned Suzuki method. I would, and I would, so I'd listen and then play back and I got pretty good at that. And then when I had just entered high school, I had stopped doing the music lessons I had even thought about joining the band and, you know, maybe being a clarinet or whatever, but um, the high school music band. But I thought, oh, I don't know that I want to be be my father. I don't know. Just there's something Freudian about it that scared me. And I had a boyfriend. My very first boyfriend was a musician. Um, side note, he's still a musician, which is great. But he passionately was into his music. And one day... I was playing his piano at his house and he said to me, Addie, you know, you could play with me. You're, you're really good. You know, the arpeggios and, and stuff. This is just jazz. You just, we're going to be in the key of C, just play. Hmm. And I, and I said, Oh, hell no. <laughs> yes. That's scary. You sure. don't, I don't know what it's supposed to be or sound like. I don't have a plan. No. And, and I didn't say it that emphatically. I, I you know, I, I don't know what I said, but, you know, uh, this scared me. And then a few months later, uh, I was playing the piano at our church where he and I both went. And, um, and then he walked in the room and I was so intimidated that I fucked up. And then I said, okay, I'm just not a musician. I'm not going to do this anymore. Hmm. And I let myself think, okay, that's his role. Hmm. Or that was my father's role. And so I stepped away from music. One of the things that I've realized only in the past six months, Jara, is that also my father's band, the Jack Thomas band, had 10 members in it or whatever, and they were all men. 
And I didn't notice that until very recently. And I wonder how much of my decision to give up on music was based on having seen the image of men playing music, not yeah. women, and then absorbed that into my psyche. I can't, I'm, and that's not something I'm pointing a finger at anybody and saying, you done wrong. You didn't let the women in. Maybe they would have let women into that band if they'd have, if they'd have applied. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I stepped away from it mm-hmm. because of these weird subconscious fears and reasons. Happy news is <laughs> about seven, eight years later. Yeah. Well, I was, I was about 21, maybe 22. My mom was cleaning out her attic and she said, hey, I have a violin that was my, it had been my sister's. She had taken for one year. She said, do you want this? I'd be giving it away. You know, I'm mm-hmm. giving it away to somebody. Do you want it? I said, sure. And I was feeling optimistic at the time. And I played, um, then I ended up playing for contra dances. I learned contra dance style, folk music playing, and, um, and have done that in waves you know, it's a hobby for me, but lately I've gotten back into it again, even more. I'm going to be playing for the Indianapolis Contra Dance in, in February, by the way. Nice. Um, but like, you know, just, it, it is part of my life and yeah. I love it. And it's definitely an outlet for my emotions. You know, if I'm feeling really uptight, I can go play music and just let loose. Or if I'm feeling very sad, I can play some waltzes or whatever you know like I use that as another form of expression but I the lesson that I learned was that I needed to step into something that I wanted to do because I wanted to do it mm-hmm. not because of any expectations or yeah I don't know what your thoughts on that story are you know I guess one of my questions is what you consider a symbol or you know, if it's broader than that, like, um, and some of this is just talking hmm. about, okay, I'm, I'm going to switch really fast. There's a quote that I wrote down that I think is yours from the book, okay. wherever there is a pattern, there is truth. That's you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, I guess what it makes me think about is like seeing, visually seeing the role of men, the role of women, you know, is a thing that starts to look like truth to you but it's a truth that's capable of being disrupted right (laughs) yes yes okay so a symbol is is any type of an image thing that represents something else okay okay the root of the word symbol comes from a greek word for throne token what they would do back in the day is they would write on a clay tablet legal contracts. And then uh, when that contract, that debt was paid or whatever, they would take it and they would smash it on the ground. And that's how we get the word symbol. This clay tablet represented the debt or whatever legal thing was going on. Um, I divide symbols into three different categories. Um, There's personal symbols. So symbols that represent important things to you. Um, 
because of your individual life story and experiences. And of course, any type of talk therapy is going to go through lots of those sorts of things anyway, right? Right. And then you've got your cultural symbols. The cultural symbols are things that we as a collective group will gravitate toward and celebrate what they represent, okay? And, and then you have the universal symbol, okay? And I love universal symbols. I love trying to find universal symbols because the universal symbol is something that ideally crosses all cultures. Everybody who is human will look at that symbol and it will resonate with them on some sort of a powerful gut way Mm -hmm. like the sun you can't live on this planet without understanding the sun and its warmth Mm -hmm. that is a universal symbol does that answer your question I don't know what my question was yeah what (laughs) a symbol was yeah for sure I mean it's so it's supposed to be something that is very like vague and open to interpretation right that's sort of the point of it (laughs) yes yes and and if you're, you want to learn more about symbolism and what can be a symbol and how can we apply these principles to our lives, then I would invite you to look at the work of Carl Jung, you know, one of our founding yeah. fathers of the uh, psychotherapy, right? Um, right? His ideas were that we have symbols that will enter our dreams, that will enter our lives, that will show us things about ourselves and we want to get to that subconscious mind because the subconscious mind is what's really driving us. Mm -hmm. We want to pull off the mask of the persona or ego that we show the world. That's not the true self. We want to get to that inner core and we can look to symbols for that. Uh, The I don't know if you know anything about the surrealist art movement in Europe, but that happened during like the 1920s, 1930s. And they had read about Freud and Jung and their work Mm -hmm. trying to get at the subconscious mind. And uh, they said, we want to, we want to get at it. We want to pull out this, the symbols and things. And we want the truth of who we are. (laughs) How can we do it? And they yeah. came up with all these fun games that I love to do with my students. It's you oh, know, some fun. of them, I'm sure everybody who's listening had at some point taken a class where you did automatic writing, where you just sit down and you just write and you don't, right. you don't think you do, just, if you have a word pop in your brain, you write it, um, it or automatic drawing, um, doing certain collage things where we're splicing things together in, in a way uh, it, it, there's, there's a lot of games that you could play. Uh, I love it. Uh, but I think Blato. What it I think part of the comfort of it is that whether or not you believe that there's meaning from an external force or whether the comfort hmm. is simply the meaning that you find within yourself there's there's multiple interpretations that are still incredibly useful in any given situation. Yes. Yes, it's useful. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like going back to the trombone story, um, Mm -hmm. such a weird way of saying the the trombone story, but like whether or not you felt like it was your father's, your father intentionally being present there or not, 
it was still it was still a deep moment of connection. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 And for a long time, I just wrestled with was that a like like his spirit was he there or was it just a coincidence and then I'm applying my own meaning to it and what I've come up with and this is so agnostic is I don't know I don't know I can't I can't (laughs) I can never fully know the way we would know with a scientific inquiry you know you asked about my um my statement in the book where there is a pattern, there's truth. Mm -hmm. My mom is a scientist. And so I was raised with this, like we, we do things and we, we make um, concrete decisions about what is true based on evidence. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to test things and, and make sure they're true. And then we, but um, what scientists look for patterns. Yeah. Um, you, you have, there's, if there's, if something's an anomaly, it just happens once. Well, that's not a truth that we can say that gravity is a truth. If it just happened for five seconds, one day, but other, every other day we float off the earth. No, I mean, just mm. these, these scientific facts we know because there's a big overall pattern. They happen over and over. Um, your thoughts how do you search for patterns in your own life or like how do you I mean there's also I'm, I'm thinking of the book this book that I loved in college the crying of lot 49 okay. and all right I went to at the time I was you know it was a very evangelical college and I was struggling with my faith I was struggling with this idea that like the way that like Christianity presented God and religion was the only way that you were supposed to see things. And mm-hmm. we read, we read this book by Thomas Pynchon that where a woman, um, her husband died. I'm going to get this wrong and left her this lot, lot 49. And as she's like waiting to pick up whatever, whatever's in the lot, and this has been 20 years, so I know I'm fucking this up, but all of these strange coincidences start happening and she can't, and she starts getting paranoid that people are after her and she sees this like weird symbol, ironically with a trombone, um, that represents like this alternative to the U.S. postal system and you can leave messages to people and it's but it's ultimately this book about like who decides what has meaning and what do you take as coincidence? And there's a scene where she's talking to this person who lived, had this lived experience with a thing. And the person says like, maybe somebody will write a book about it and then we'll finally know what really happened. Because so many of us think that, you know, there's only certain authorities like you know, the academic system or whatever that enable us to like know what real truth is. And then we end up disregarding the truth that we feel inside of us. And so this book was this eye opening experience to me that like meaning there's not one universal source of meaning. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Here's one thought for you. Um, I would recommend reading Emerson's essay on self-reliance. 
And in I have, that, but it's been a very long time. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, and yeah. he, he wrote a lot of essays, but that was is one of my favorites because it's about how he was saying his ideal is to not just take in whatever the religious authorities have told him. He has to look to his own self and his own experiences and his own gut to make a decision about what's true. Mm-hmm. That's what that essay yeah. is really about. And, right. um, and I do think that as a community, we can come together and learn from each other. Yes. Right. I mean, sure. I'm learning from you right now, <laughs> but, like, but there is, um, there is a, a ideal that I have that if I can get to my, my inner truth and know what's true for me and shed the bull crap that's been fed to me, like mm-hmm. women don't play music or whatever the, whatever the heck it is, then right. I, I can, I can get to the truth. Yeah. If I'm honest, if I'm honest. I think that in many ways, like where this interview to me, if it's into like the greater work that is radical soul is that there's always this process of deconditioning for all of us, like deconditioning from the patriarchy, deconditioning from the capitalism and mm-hmm. all of these things. And that really intentionally thinking about the role that symbols play in our lives, what symbols have meaning, how they, how can we can change the, the meaning that they have. That's just one other tool in the toolbox that allows us to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Love that. Yeah. Yes. As well as engage with the questions of what what do we have faith in? What do we have hope in? And I find part of what I love is that even people who for whom like whatever spirituality is has deep meaning come back to this cornerstone that you have to have faith in yourself, you know, above mm-hmm. all things and faith in what you define as meaning for yourself and define as value oh yeah and I can be so wobbly yeah yeah I don't maybe I don't portray that but deep down I can be wobbly in that like faith stuff and like having confidence that I can do it Mm. yeah yeah we all can right I mean that's just (laughs) part of being human but it's also part of that relationship (laughs) with ego right yes yeah yeah there was one, coming back to Jung, um, one of the quotes from your book that I really, that stood out was, um, man's destiny is marked out for him by symbols. What does that mean to you? Hmm. I think that symbols can show us something about the core of humanity. And we can look all the way back to the cave paintings. There's something within us that loves the visual image, Mm. that wants to celebrate different aspects of our life through image. Another story to share that I feel reflects this in a way is um, many years ago, I was teaching an art class and this was an intuitive painting abstract class. So we are um, just splashing paint on in, in whatever way we our guts telling us to do in that moment we're not planning Mm -hmm. i give prompts this is a new 
art movement, if you don't know anything about it, that has roots in the abstract expressionist movement and art therapy. But the teacher in an intuitive painting class says, okay, now paint with your left hand. And even though you're right-handed, you know, or whatever, um, to loosen you up and and help new things happen. And in this method, you might create these strange blobs and then you look at it and you say, oh, I hmm. see a bird right here. I see an alligator. And then you can accentuate those and, and pull the alligator out and then look at that. So it's like, like ink blot tests. Mm-hmm. So one day I taught this class and first we look at slides and we're looking at Kandinsky and Kandinsky had several phases, one of which was very, very chaotic and lots of movement and lots of vibration within the, the forms. And then he went through this very geometric phase where they are straight lines, mm. perfect circles, clean, open space within the picture plane where it's just white paint and nothing else, no mess, very orderly. And one of the students said to me, she said, oh, I love that geometric stuff. I said, okay. She said, yeah, I'm, I'm a neat, orderly person. I, I, love, I love this. That's what I'm going to do today. And I said, okay, great, cool. So that, but then an hour later, Jara, I'm walking around and, you know, supporting people and, and everything. And I come to her. And on her easel, she has this large canvas and she has put red paint all over it and it's dripping on the floor and it looks so like a murder scene or something. Yeah. I mean, it's just like this explosion of color. And I yeah. said, whoa, what, what happened? I thought you were going to go with the geometry. And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> So what, what did happen? I believe there was something within her that didn't want to be neat and orderly, mm. that wanted to be splashy and let loose. Mm-hmm. And that there was, she had maybe told herself over the years or other people had told her, you should be neat and orderly. You should know exactly what the schedule is today and you should have pro-con lists and you should, you know. But that wasn't really what she wanted. Yeah, yeah. And and so um, when we say the, the young quote, man's destiny is marked out for him by symbols. When you look at what you have created, it doesn't have to be this literal in, it, in that it, you've made the art. But what have you surrounded yourself with? What draws you in? Mm. This is showing something very important about you. There's a, a book I wrote about fairly recently um, okay. by psych, by physician Gabriel Mate mm-hmm. uh, called The Myth of Normal. And um, mm-hmm. he, he wrote about the physical necessity of authenticity and how if you're, um, if you've lived a life in which you've, your true emotions or true expressions of self have been limited for whatever reason that there's physical repercussions like yeah. you're more likely to 
be at risk for for anything from cancer to autoimmune disorders. And so figuring out like what needs to be expressed in you and what's been suppressed in you is incredibly useful for your health, you know, because your body is crying out, right? Yes, yes. That's what it reminds me so much of it and getting, using art, using symbols and whatever, using subconscious writing, all of these different techniques to figure out what's being suppressed in your subconscious is a way of learning these deep-seated things that have been suppressed or hidden for so long, right? And it sounds like that's a lot of what your what your classes and your art is able to do. Yeah, that's the ideal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I do believe that our health can be affected when we've suppressed something. And so listening to the signs of your body, you have constant headaches. Okay, there's a reason, you know, there, there is probably a scientific reason, right? but you know, it might also just be like a stress that's exacerbated from something else. Um, So yes, we want to let it out and be authentic and be true. I think I I look back at certain times, periods of my life and I was not honest not only not honest with other people, mm-hmm. you know, the, the facade that we show, but also I wasn't even honest with myself. And that's what's really scary to me. Like I look back on my midlife crisis and all this, it was a realization that I had not been honest with myself. Mm. And that scared the crap out of me because I, it's like, if, if I don't even know what I'm about, how can I how can I be true for other people or how can I be healthy and be authentic? Mm-hmm. So um, you got to get real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, and it takes time, right? It takes time to figure out what real is, right? Yeah. 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 It's like, like one visual I have is an onion. I keep peeling back these layers of, of, what we were told we should be and limiting definitions of things yeah. that we've, we've taken on till we can get to that core self that I believe that if, if I have a faith at all, if I have a faith, Jared, it's that that inner core is really beautiful. Mm. And I think sometimes people think, Oh, it's going to be scary. It's going to be like, Oh, I'm actually a selfish monster. That inner core, I believe, is is open. It's forgiving. It um, it heals the wounds. It doesn't want to hate. It wants mm-hmm. to open its arms. Um, I believe that that's really the root of of what we are, and that if if we act out. If we, if we lash out at somebody or what, it's because of a fear. And the fear is, is coming from instinctual self-preservation of some form or other, but that's not the core. The core strength is a little happier than that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just, it's a belief in people's inherent goodness. Yeah. So, Okay. I know I keep saying ending. 
I, w- I would love to end on just a really easy assignment for people who something that they can look for today that they can leave this podcast and think um, this is a way of looking or listening for something that your inner self has been trying to tell you what what would be an assignment that you would you would give people okay um how about this you know we're about to enter the new year okay and in in chinese culture there's the year of the rat and the boar and the i don't know what this next year is going to be for that but um but how about you choose a symbol for the year and this can represent what you want to embody in the year, what mm. you want to step into. Um, so for the next week, look around you to the pictures in your house, to the images you see in the subway car, what, whatever it is. I'll look around you and then write down on a piece of paper that symbol and it can be goofy, okay? It can be an onion, like we were just talking about an onion. It can be the yeah. onion. And and then write down to the side of where you draw that little thing in your notebook. I'm picking the symbol of the onion because I want to get at my core inner self. Whatever. Come up with the reason why you selected that one image. Narrow it down to one. That's my assignment for you. I love it. All right. Do you know what your symbol would be, Shara? Do you know? Um, I don't. I need to think about. I mean, you know, my vision board. I think would be that that plant, right? That's Hmm. under the ground. But is that the thing that I want in my life? Like, I mean, I feel like I I'm very good at cultivating my artistic self and. But it can also drive myself into the ground, like continuing to plant and plant and plant. So, you know, what what do I need right now? I'm not sure yet, but I will post about it. <laughs> so wow. We will figure it out. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks so much for that and for sharing so much of your journey <laughs> over the past 13 years that we haven't talked. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jara, for inviting me on the show. And I'm so happy that you were letting your truth out and saying it and talking to people and connecting in this way. It it fosters growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. It fosters growth. So thank you.